Hi, Emmanuel. Um, what was your first computer? Or Emmanuel, is this uh, pronounced right, actually? Uh, so my mother calls me Emmanuel. Emmanuel? Is it, is yes, it better? Yes, it's good enough. Don't so, worry. Almost uh, like your mother, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Very good. It's a U, it's a U as the... Uh, is it the umlaut U? Which yes. Is U and not U. Yeah, there you go. So, so Emmanuel, Emmanuel or Emmanuel? No, e Emmanuel. Yeah. Emmanuel. Oh. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. You got it. Emmanuel. Okay. Uh, but you know, I lived in the US for a little while and they just told me, oh, and they, they, they changed my name to Emmanuel anyway. Okay. Like changing my pronunciation. So, you know, anything, anything works. And uh, the cool story is uh, my last name is uh, Bean. And uh, yeah. they always ask me, you know, uh, how to pronounce that, uh, bien, bien or bien. And in, uh, yeah. and in France, uh, I was uh, invited to a Java user group. I forgot actually the location, but uh, at the airport, they recognized my second name, bien. And I didn't have mm -hmm. to wait, you know. I was uh, like, you know, the priority boarding. They were very nice to me. So um, it really depends. <laughs> it depends on the country, uh, the pronunciation of my last name. And in yeah. Germany, they always ask me, you know, Adam or Adam. And I say, I don't care. So really, I don't care. So, um, yeah. Now, uh, the most important question is now, of course, what was your first computer? Yeah. So I was actually a PC guy from the, from the very beginning. So I had an Amstrad PC 1512, mm -hmm. which uh, I had to look it up because I didn't know the history. But it, this is the first PC computer ever done by uh, Amstrad. At, uh, the, well, the brand is dead now, but. Um, so this was the first PC computer and my, um, so my mom was doing accounting. So she was aware of like this, you know, uh, microcomputer revolution, but she was no expert by any mean. And at some point, I guess they figured out, ah, oh, you know, we need to teach the kids, you know, these computer things. So they went to a shop and say, Hey, uh, you know, what can we buy? And they said, well, there's this, uh, two floppy disk one. And there is one with a hard drive. And they're like, what is the hard drive useful for? And the guy was like, I don't know. So they came up with a two floppy one. <laughs> okay. And then and then I got started with that, uh, the double floppy yeah. uh, Amstrad PC. So you had load balancing from the beginning, right? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, you know, you could actually swap, you know, the some of the bigger uh, software, you had several disks uh, to like swap. Mm -hmm. I, I forgot if you could swap from A to B and then, yeah, I think, I think you could actually. So that was like a, you could, you know, save a few, you know, uh, half a second each time instead of having to, you know, yeah. move, move the handle, remove the disc, put back the other one. And these were like floppy one, like the, the, the black ones. The five inch, right? Yeah. So the larger ones. Yes. Yeah. So yes. you could copy uh, from one floppy to another. This was actually the, the, the main use case. Yes. Uh -huh. And yeah. you remember the CPU actually, because uh, I had also a guest on uh, the uh, on on the show, and uh, I think was it Intel already? You know it? What is it? It was a in yeah. Uh, let me double check, but I think it was yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I had an Amstrad, uh, also Amstrad, but it was a ZX Spectrum one. It was nothing to do with a PC, but uh, yeah, interesting. So that Amstrad actually yeah. Back in the day, there was no standardization. Not everybody was behind Intel and the and yeah. the x eighty six industry. So uh, and how? What was your first thing you did on the computer? I forgot what the first thing I did, but I can tell you one of the first thing I did was to break it. <laughs> ah. Um, yeah, so I was, uh, I was, there was no graphical interface, right? So I, I, we landed on, you know, the DOS mm -hmm. prompt 
So you had this C, you know, C something. And, and I was looking around and created directories. And at some point I see this, uh, annoying dots and dot dot file. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is annoying. I need to remove this file. Mm -hmm. And I, so I do delete, mm -hmm. uh, dot dot. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that I removed the, uh, auto exec.bat and the config.sys mm -hmm. file, which for people that know DOS is kind of useful when you restart the computer. Yes. And then I realized my mistake and I was frozen. I'm like, if I stop the computer, I'm dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, what can I do? And then I went to my dad and, you know, he knew nothing. So he's like, you know, well, just reinstall it. <laughs> and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. The good news is not having a hard drive, the whole notion of state was, uh, you know, very different. Everything was on floppy for me. So I didn't lose, you know, anything. So you didn't delete the floppy, you deleted the, deleted the REM. I forgot where it was. I think maybe I had to boot from a, from a floppy. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So this was your first, you know, uh, hacking experience, which was uh, quite successful. Exactly, yeah. So and uh, then then you start <laughs> playing, or what you did with the machine? Yeah. So, uh, so by, by the way, another hacking one was I think there was something called a C slash PM at the time. I don't know if it was a operating system or uh, just a format standard for like to format the the disk. But at some point, I was like. Read, uh, first of all, you were reading stuff from uh, magazines and actual books, right? Printed on, mm -hmm. on trees. Mm -hmm. uh, so I found, and people were like, you know, CPM is much better than uh, DOS and you should go for it. So I was like, all right. And then I, I forgot if it's install or format the stuff. And then I've got this new OS and I'm like, great. I know, I know nothing, right? Because you had no, you got, you had no, no program, no, nothing to run on, mm -hmm. to run with, right? And I think that was my first realization that program was actually important. That was the core of things, not just the computer that was important. It's, it's what, that's what inside it and, you know, what you wanted to do with. So that was my second sort of hacking experience. Uh, wow. On that front. Was it the same week yeah. or a little bit later? Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> let's say the same week and then I can brag, but no. So, By the way, it's an 8086. Uh, yeah. Okay. So how, how old were you back then? I suppose I was seven-ish. Wow. Six, seven, yeah. Wow, so they were early days. So that's actually amazing. Cool. Yeah, I'm from 77. So 84, that's probably where they started to... No, they say 86. So I'm, I was nine, sorry. No, no problem. Yeah, but still, I mean, a young hacker. Yeah. Very good. And and then you started playing or, or what? Was, what you did with so the I computer? Played, yeah, I played, I played uh, but not that much. I think I... Yeah, I think I played those, you know, super, well, either black and white or I had four colors, but the four colors were like cyan, magenta, mm -hmm. you know, black and white. And these were just horrible. Mm -hmm. They would burn your, your retina. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, I mean, nowadays. Um, so I, yeah, I played a, a while. Yeah, I think I played a while because, uh, I remember at some point my, my parents were like, Oh, you're using the computer too much. And I, I remember that the computer in the BIOS had something where, when you started, it was saying, you know, last started, you know, at that date and that time. And my dad used to use that to find whether I was cheating or not, ah. and abusing, mm -hmm. playing. Yeah. Okay. So I played, yeah, I played a lot. Um, and then? And then I also explored, you know, basic was my first developer experience. And then now it's become uh, interesting. Why? So why you did it? So you played and you mean, 
usually you have lots of fun, you know, playing games. And then why you started BASIC? How? I, th I think I was, yeah, I don't fully remember that. But um, I'm, I know right now I'm usually bored with games very quickly. So I, I like the fun of exploring it. And very quickly it's like, oh, yeah, it feels repetitive or a bit too hard for my test. Because I'm not a agile for my thumb. I, you know, I'm not a millennial by any mean. Um, we all are a millennial, you know. We are all young. Are, are we? Okay, yeah, sure. Well, okay, let's, let's do that. <laughs> Java keeps us young, you know. <laughs> hmm. Well, I'm definitely Generation X, you know, the one that knew the analog analogic uh -huh. and and the and the digital. Yeah. Um, I think I wanted to have. So to me, I, I think it started as a game. I wanted to have fun. It, it wasn't really to. I had a problem. I, I wanted to fix it. It was like, oh, I want to explore the thing and build my own stuff and you know have fun with it and it, because it was you know those logic and i had this you know logical you know puzzle in minded game uh, my brain i and i guess that's how i got you know interested in it mm -hmm. and uh so i think i was trying to do the uh the snail the snake uh-huh you know kind of game yeah so i think i did this one yeah Okay, uh, interesting. So another guest also uh, started with the game. So uh, it's like uh, seems like to be popular start, you know, to be a hacker. So um, yeah. w were you still nine or eleven or how old were you approximately? Um, y yeah, I would say yeah, something more like eleven. Okay, cool. Eleven, twelve. I, I think it was right before. I don't know if it's the same in Germany, but we got primary school up to. 11-ish, and then 12 is where you go to college, which is not the U.S. college. It's more like a high school. Yeah, in Germany, it's similar, but I think one, one year earlier right now. It's like you switch with okay. 10, I think, yeah. And uh, 10, was still okay. your the, the same machine? No. <laughs> oh, it's a good question. No, I think it was a more recent one because I remember the blue one, the, the hard floppies, uh -huh. uh, where, where you could drill a hole on the right side of the floppy to make it a uh, double density exactly you know? <laughs> this was like playing yeah. with fire yeah exactly uh okay and um so you did a little bit of basic uh did it work your snake yeah. game yeah yeah it was working it was working. hey cool so and what what would it then i think i i didn't do that so I don't remember anything that I actually built in practice. Uh, I remember playing with Pascal, mm -hmm. and but why? Time, I mean, was is this like you, your colleagues wanted to play, or just you know? yeah? With my friends, my friends. So I was, you know, just like geeks. We had a very selected number of friends we could talk to and ah, have fun with. But good. the uh, uh -huh. but they, yeah. I guess there was a bit of an emulation of like, hey, you know, we could you know write this stuff. You know what? Comp what compiler do you use? You know, because that, back in the days, there was a rage of like one compiler being better or faster exactly, than the yeah. others. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember. Okay. So, and Turbo Pascal, you, you remember something significant yeah, when Turbo you wrote? Pascal. I was annoyed not having go-to for a while because <laughs> it, it forces you to structure your, your thinking more, right? So, I, I don't know how uh, people starting today do it because for us it was really a gradient we you had like go to level um you know orchestration and then then you went into you know a proper loop and if you know mm -hmm. um, fully fully enforced 
And then we got introduced to object-oriented programming language, which was, you know, big. It took me a while. It was really difficult for me, um, this shift. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it became the aspect-oriented and then functional, which I ignored until the very recent years. Um, so I don't know how people just jump right now and say, okay, you can do object-oriented and functional and like high-order, you know, thingy. And I don't know how they do it. So I think uh, similar to us, but uh, what I also started was uh, GoTo's and Basic, and then the next one was GoSub, and then the uh, Turbo Pascal. I actually didn't knew that this was a function. I just uh, assumed, like you know, GoTo with a label. This was my thinking. Like you can just instead of using a a line number, you can just use the name, and it somehow worked. And then later, I got actually the idea how it actually works. But uh, yeah, and uh, right now, I mean, I think it's different because usually what happens right now, they just, you know, look at JavaScript and browse the heck around and learn, you know, in more interactive way, I would assume, most of the youngsters. Yeah, but I think it was interactive. Uh, by the way, I do remember Logo as well. Yeah, Logo, yeah. And uh, you do have the French uh, Logo version or the uh, the English? I suppose the French. I because uh, I find yeah, out there is a French version where, uh, you know, instead of go going forward... There's a French uh, name for it, and uh, Avant, yeah. yeah, and okay. uh, I have Avant, the, uh, yeah. uh, and uh, I wanted to have the uh, the English one, but I it was not available on my machine, or I couldn't get it, so I stick with basic. Um, what, yeah, you, so you you know, in France, we don't we're not born with the English language as as much as you guys are. So we, you know, the the more you stay in the fully French version, the better. I I was programming in French, you know, <laughs> basic for a while. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, no, not basic. Not the no. If was still if, but what I mean is all my variable names and so on were French for okay for quite a while. Yeah, cool. And um, yeah, and 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 you like programming or not? So was it like you know uh, accidental hacking or you were you know the fully full hacker? You know? Full. Uh, no, no, I liked it uh, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was really in love with with that, with this and. Um, I got very lucky. So I, in France, you got these uh, engineering schools and uh, it's essentially the better your grade, the you, you got a bit of a absolute order of schools, quite, kind of. And I ended up in a school that was doing both uh, electricity, electronics and computer science. And that was re really great for me because really I did love computer just the way I think most of the your, your guests uh, love computers. Uh, so that was uh, not a hack on life, but just by chance that I really, you know, I could have ended up in chemistry because, you know, I, I like chemistry as well. But the I went straight in computer science and had the you know, somewhat solid background, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, small, small plus. Um, but for me, no, I, I loved it. But the one thing I remember is, you know, I was, um, I, I think it was probably the 90 something, but I was interested into this Linux stuff, right? Uh, I think Mandrake was the, the distribution mm -hmm. at the time that I explored. Um, and I try, well, people have to remember, like, not so long prior to that, we were just, fiddling with IRQ settings to optimize our sound card and make sure it boots with e the right, you know, e combination. Exactly. Of so uh, what I had, uh, the Linux distribution was DLD, which stands for Deutsche Linux Distribution, German Linux Distribution. And I, right. I bought it. It was a box, a nice box, and I tried to install, nothing worked. And what I had to do <laughs> is I had to open my computer and look up, you know, the chip from the graphic card 
use it, uh, I think even recompile the kernel or something. And then I had, you I know, see. a basic user interface. So this was the, my first, you know, uh, encounter with Linux. Uh, the question yeah. I have, uh, after Turbo Pascal, was something else you built with Turbo Pascal? What was your fir first serious application? Not a game, but something else. You remember that? Well, I remember one. I'm not sure that's the first one, but I can tell you that one. And that was way later because that was with the first version of Java that had Swing. Okay. So you skipped, so after Turbo uh, Pascal, you just started with Java or you had something in between? No, I did a bit of C. Mm -hmm. So let, let me tell you. So, so uh, this, uh, the timing is the first Java version that had C, but I had, um, I knew C existed and I, you know, read a little bit of it, uh, but I never really taught myself C. And then I had this internship and the guy said, oh, do you know, do you know C++ version six or whatever? And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, I know the previous version. And he's like, all right, that, that's the same. Don't worry. And then I rushed after the interview because I got the job, quote unquote. And then I rushed after the interview into a bookshop and had to taught myself C and then C++, right? All yeah. in, a, well, in the month prior to starting the, the job. Mm -hmm. So my first, you know, work that I did was uh, with something called uh, Tipco. Um, mm -hmm. So we had... Uh, messaging, right? I, yes, messaging. And they had a C, uh, a C library and uh, the company needed some sort of a higher level abstraction. So I've been writing this higher level abstraction, trying to figure out C and C++ and the structures. And and essentially by the end of my internship, they Tipco came and said, oh, okay, we've got a new version with a much higher level abstraction. So everything I did, they just did better. But, you know, we didn't know. Uh, so that was my, my first uh, like work experience, like working in C and uh, Offering a higher level abstraction around messaging in and out for for a system. And what was your experience? So you like C after knowing Turbo Pascal, or were you shocked, or you liked that? So what? Yeah, it felt more dirty, really. <laughs> okay. Um, if if I if I remember, the whole notion of pointers were well, they don't they are not alien to me right now, but they they were really non trivial for me to to figure out. Like the fact that you could really kill yourself. Uh, so easily by just, you know, casting to another thing and then get going was, was a bit strange. Yeah. Uh, um, absolutely. Oh, by the way, no, I had earlier experience with, uh, uh, at school. So, uh, so two things, one, I forgot what we had to write, but, uh, my teacher had something called discipline mm -hmm. checker to C checker. So DCC and that was C, but like really nice like if you made a typo like one extra space in your indentation the, it was not a warning it was not compiling so like linting right yes lint but enforced yeah okay. um so we were writing stuff and it had you had to write like perfect uh at, at least perfect according to the rules otherwise the compiler doesn't pass and i remember we were like uh, two people on the project and i was you know we first wrote the thing with the normal compiler and then started to you know, remove the, the errors. And I, I remember, you know, I worked hard to go from like, you know, 86 to 32 errors. And then I'm like, okay, I need a break. And I went, went to get a Coke, came back. And my, uh, the other person I worked with was not really savvy in computer. And then I come back and then <laughs> we're back at 120 errors. I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> it's like, I don't know. I tried to help. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> and in the end, the, um, 
Well, yeah. So I didn't know at the time, but we didn't have source, you know, source control. Uh-huh. So everything was lost. I had to refix the issues. I couldn't go back in time. Yeah. Uh, which would have been a, just a non-error, no, non-problem at the time. Uh, uh, right now, as it was a problem at the time, I had to just you know, crank up and fix the errors again. But you already mentioned Java. So what was your... So why you started with Java then? So you just found it on the internet or why you started with Java? Okay. Uh, before I tell you that, um, so this other team... The, the reason I remember that my C work was with uh, Java, I think it probably is 1.1 or 1.2, mm-hmm. which had the the swing version. 1.2. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was it very... Maybe that wasn't Swing, actually. Maybe that was AWT. But let me tell you. So they they wanted to be a showcase to so how Java is great, and they wanted a super nice UI. So every time they had a, a button, they replaced it with an image. So I forgot if it's AWT or Swing that allows you to do that. Swing. But J-button. it turned out... But uh, uh, who? Was it a company who you worked with? Uh, it's, uh, the, the company is named Atos. It's a... Uh, what do you call that? It's a service company. They're a large that, company, know, actually, yeah, in Germany as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. but they are, they are like, uh, uh, not ISV, what's the name? Uh, Consultants. You know, they, they, they're a consultant company, yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and, um, you were, and you were a consultant, you were a freelancer back then, or what, what happened with you? No, 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 I was just in my, I think I was still at school and doing my, one of the internships they require you to do hey, cool. before you mm-hmm. graduate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, these guys did a you know beautiful UI and everything, but uh, the garbage collector wasn't as good as we know it right now. So essentially, they couldn't keep the the um, the application up for more than twenty minutes because everything was leaking, like there was no tomorrow. Uh, and I think at some point, first of all, the, the uh, garbage collectors became better, and B, I think. There was a redesign in the graphic, um, in the graphic APIs to avoid creating so many objects uh, that that they were doing before. What what, uh, what happened in one did. point of time with Swing? They replaced. I forgot the Java version, but they replaced how the listeners were managed. So instead of having you no know, hard references, they used weak refs. So there were no more leaks with the action listeners. Oh, I see. This this I, I forgot actually the version, but this happened in one one time. Uh huh. Okay. So that's why I remember Java. And then Java, um, let me try and remember. Then I went the dark, on the dark side, uh, though everybody is, is friendly nowadays, but I went on the dark side and I started to work on ASP mm-hmm. and, uh, Microsoft, right? So I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think they are in Germany, but there is a, essentially an Amazon shop back in the days called Amazon, uh, Fnac. Uh, in France, uh, it's well known for selling discs and books and, you know, everything around culture. Okay. And they started their, their website for real. And we were, you know, there was a heavy Microsoft shop. Uh, Microsoft helped us build that. Uh, so we wrote, you know, uh, ASP based, uh, full e-commerce web shop. And I was responsible for the, the basket and order processing on the, on the front end side. So I did all of that uh, ASP. So I learned, uh, I was very happy with VB, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked that uh, model because you could go back, you know, breakpoint, go back in time. That was just awesome. It's still, still to this day, I miss that even in, in Java. You know, sometimes you're like with your debugger and you're up to this level. It's like, damn, I went one level too far. Mm-hmm. 
and you have to stop and restart your computer and put the the debugging point like one one step before in vb you could literally go back one two three steps above that was just great cool so it wasn't object oriented but uh, you know i just just enjoyed that model and uh, the ui was very easy to do i did a bunch of the you know graphical graphical applications as well so so you so you actually like the ui right i well i'm i'm not good at ui but it was so easy they had a you know, a way to graphically draw your UI, which was, you know, very easy. Okay. Uh, and Java did, uh, took quite a while to get something equivalent. I, I'm not a UI, UI guy anymore, so I, I, I don't remember the names of when it became somewhat doable to draw swing applications from the, from your screen. But uh, and, and how long do you stick with the ASP and Microsoft <clears throat> stuff? I think I stick... And to that, so from 2000 to essentially when C Sharp came up. So 2003. I think that would have been 2003, yeah, 2003, 2004. So at that time, we actually that that team was really understood as being su successful, and they wanted to take the team that created the website and reinvigorate the f general IT of the of the company. So at that time, we decided. Uh, they decided to create an architectural, uh, you know, team uh, that was supposed to give how stuff should be written, right? Um, and at that time, we had to choose: okay, should it be still? Since the whole C sharp was coming, we knew we wouldn't stay with the whole VB style com model, so we had to choose between C sharp or Java. So that's how I more seriously explored Java uh, and C sharp at the time. By the way, I did the C sharp POC and Java won, <laughs> and then uh, and then we went into deciding whether we wanted an app server or not. Well, we, was it, we wanted an app server. Was but, it was it so. uh, was it uh, still Atos? No, no, no. It was the Fnac. The Fnac. Okay, Fnac. Uh, okay. So I was yeah. I did Atos just as an internship, but I since then I haven't worked in the service industry in the software service industry. I'm I'm I've been at, at Fnac or at an actual you know editor at JBoss at the time. And you were a freelancer or you worked as an employee at Fnac? No employee. Okay. All, all the time. So um, yeah. it's just remarkable. So you had C sharp and Java, and then you you you. You were for Java, which is uh, remarkable because you already had experience with Visual Basic, with VB, and um, yeah, yeah, okay. We what, we had why so why you like I Java? Remember, yeah, so that's a good question. So we, you know, Microsoft was the big evil evil guy, right? So even if your company was doing Microsoft, you knew it wasn't really serious, quote unquote, right? Uh, when we were doing the whole production of the website, like to to deploy the the website. To those, you know, twenty-four servers, you had to uh, connect to terminal server and then, you know, graphically click and drop stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so we knew, like, it wasn't serious as far as industrializable, mm -hmm. right? Except we, we had a few Linux, like the DNS server and stuff like that. So, so we knew it wasn't really. It was more serious to, you know, the non-Microsoft way. So I think there was a bit of a from a technical point of view, there was a bit of a bias mm -hmm. uh, to try and go the, the Java way. And Java was way more mature um, as an ecosystem and industry-wise, even back then. So the, you know, Apache Tomcat, I think, was a thing already. Um, Spring was not. Uh, and every, everybody was redoing kind of what Spring was doing and also doing 
their own or object relational mapper at the time. Yes. Um, uh, Tomcat was out because Tomcat was really early. So it was donated at Sun around 2000, I would say. So Tomcat had to yeah, be out. Okay. Yeah. And and what uh, you did then? You used Struts and Tomcat or what was your... No, we used... So we decided to go for a full app server. And at the time there was uh, BEA, IBM WebSphere, I think version 4. It's between 4 and 5. Mm-hmm. Um, we started with 4 and explored 5 after that. And then... Um, and then Orion. <laughs> Orion. So very or, good. So you used yeah. WebSphere? We, so funny story. Uh, maybe uh, I shouldn't say that. No, no, but uh, wait a second. Because uh, back then, I was a huge fan of WebLogic. And WebLogic, until I would say the version 10, or no, until the version 8, was really lean and fast. So it was really great experience. Yes. And um, so I'm, I'm really stuck. So, and, and, and WebSphere was always a little bit, I would say, slow. So if you would like, you know, to have a lot of coffee in your project, so you just went for WebSphere and in the morning you could wait 10 minutes until something happens. But um, yeah. the others, and Orion was very, very fast. So it has also nice, you know, user interface. Uh, and uh, it was actually built by two students. Um wasn't it bought by Oracle? Yeah, at yeah. The time, it or? was, yeah. It was a Swedish project, as I remember, and it was okay. a small uh, team um, built Orion, and then was built by Oracle and became the OC4J, I think. Oracle OC4J. Yeah, yeah. There you go. yeah. I don't have lots of um, so now uh, memories from Orion, but the the WebSphere. I think so we did why why you yeah. became Web WebSphere fanboy back then. No, I wasn't a WebSphere fanboy, <laughs> but we had to explore WebSphere versus WebLogic. Ah, uh, okay. And the, the logic is we wanted to make the best stuff. So our management was like, you know, pick two and then compare them and then, you know, make uh, give us your guest and then we'll make the choice. Because, of course, the choice is also money and is also, you know, strategy. Like uh, Fnac was a big IBM shop. They had... Um, they had AS400s and uh, DB, strong DB2 presence and so on. So <clears throat> so after the Java versus .NET POC, so yeah, Microsoft wasn't happy about losing at the time. Uh, so that was the first win for us, kind of. Uh, and then uh, I went for the WebSphere POC and my friend was going for the WebLogic POC. And yeah, as you said, he was a bit faster than me. <laughs> uh, WebSphere was really hard. It... it at some point, this, uh, IBM said, oh, we're going to come to help you. And they brought, they said, okay, we, we'll, we'll give you an AS400, we'll install the OS, and then we'll install WebSphere, and then you, you'll play with it. And they brought five people total to make that happen, and it just took forever. Um, so installing was complicated yeah. as, as a full stack uh, at the time. And yeah, as you say, WebSphere was super, super slow. Mm-hmm. Uh, to yeah, just get anything done. Uh, and WebLogic was yeah much leaner. That was really the the, the JBoss of the of the time. Right? Yeah. It was really the cool kid yes. when you when yes. you wanted to write an app server. Yeah, uh, stuff on top of an and, app and server. And even and for these days, so uh, the WebLogic had you know one library you had to use. It was WebLogic.jar, and you had the library. It was everything there, so it was very very usable. So it was no fiddling, you know, with five hundred libraries. So I really liked that. So. Uh, Back then, mm-hmm. it was big on Corba, so the clients needed the library. So they just you yeah. know, copied the weblogic.jar. And later, there was weblogic, I think, client.jar, which was smaller. And we were set, so it was yeah. very reasonable. And and yeah. so why w- w- uh, WebSphere won? I mean, because... No, you, WebLogic you, you, won. A WebLogic won, okay. Yes. Oh, very good. Okay. So here's the story. There, was, there, there is a more funny story down the line. So the... 
So we've decided for Java and WebLogic. We, we're still a big DB2 shop. Okay, we got some Oracle, but there's still, we're still a big DB2 shop. And then we start building the recommended company frameworks to start application with, right? So Struts, mm-hmm. probably Log4j at the time. Mm-hmm. Spring wasn't a thing. So um, we had a IBM Global Services team that was doing a lot of open source that really mentored me into this open source thing. <clears throat> And they had written their own sort of version of what Spring was doing. It was the time of like, uh, uh, what was the uh, uh, Excalibur, Pico Containers. Yeah, so it exactly. It was a big, big debate around Avalon, that. Apache Avalon. <clears throat> exactly. Apache Avalon, yes. So we had, I think Will Guy was like a contributor to Avalon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we had that. And then um, we said, we looked at... Um, the object relational mapper landscape is because we were like, no way we just write SQL, uh, sorry, JDBC code, uh, you know, by hand. <clears throat> so we look at it and the most famous one is, is Toplink. So we start with Toplink, which was, you know, pretty good, except uh, you had to have a Eclipse to edit your XML file mm-hmm. to describe your associations and so on. And the XML generated was not really human friendly mm-hmm. by any means. Mm-hmm. But it was doing the job. And um, at some point, Toplink get bought by Oracle. Mm-hmm. And then our management says, look, guys, there is no way we have WebLogic, uh, BEA, and then Oracle in the middle, and then IBM underneath. And then if we have a, a support ticket, then we it would be bounced between three companies. There's just no way. Mm-hmm. So they told us, find something else. We're like, uh, okay, so you want us to... So, so yeah, so we we find Hibernate and we explore it. It's like the two beta something, beta one, beta two. Uh, so very early. And and the team, and then we come back to the management. It's like, okay, so you prefer, we take this like random library of the internet, self-support than having a fully proper support from Oracle. And they said, yes. It's like, all right. <laughs> so we went for, IB, for uh, Hibernate and that's why I started to learn uh, Hibernate inside out because I wanted to be able to support the the company ah, uh, on that. Okay. So that thanks to Oracle, essentially, I became a Hibernate contributor. So you have it's to send send a gift to 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 Oracle now. Yeah, exactly. Hey, hey cool. <laughs> so and uh, okay, so so you learned Hibernate and and then you stick yeah. with Hibernate. So what? So you quit then the company and 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 went to Red Hat or what? yeah. Hey, before that, let me give you a bit of a tangent on that. So. Uh, at the time, it was also big on the new way to do stuff. Waterfall was bad, uh, even if everybody was doing it. So it was the unified process thing. Rational right? unified process, ROOP. Exactly. So we had rational. We did buy, well, there was a, there is a company called Valtech, which was big into, uh, yeah, this notion of uh, processes and organi- organization. And they, yeah, they taught us the rational unified process, and they—that's how I came to Eclipse, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Funny enough, because I think the rational unified process bench uh, workbench was actually running on Eclipse One, <clears throat> and Eclipse One, well, well, that was really a V zero version, to be honest. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it really became good at starting at V two, mm-hmm. and we. You know, I was not, you know, the naive 25, 26 year old person was like, all right, so we're going to, you know, give them the new technical 
framework and give them the new way to organize the IT and everybody will love it and will be, you know, all efficient and optimized and agile and what, I don't think agile was the term at the time, but the, and then we go at it and the project was a massive failure, not for the technical reasons, of course, but because people didn't want to change, right? And that was my first and first very painful experience about human, the, the importance of dealing with humans and the slowness of an organization to, you know, evolve. Uh, and that's, I, I wish, so it, it still stick to me. And I think any new, I don't know if you have lots of new, you know, new young programmers here, but you need to try that and fail. That's, um, it's very important to get experience as far as also hacking your organization. I think that's probably as useful as, you know, hacking your software. That's the next level of complexity, really. I mean, in, in my experiences in every project, I have micro hacks always because, you know, you have always people who don't think from my perspective, logical or reasonable. So you always have to apply various hacks, right? Yeah, exactly. So, and then some people call it politics. So you, you, it depends how sensible you are to, you know, to this. So there's a gradient between hacking to, you know, playing the politics, which is of course considered a bit bad. Yeah. So don't take everything too serious and uh, then, then it's better. So it's for me, it's of course easier because yeah. I external freelancer. So everything is fun. I think it's less fun if you are working for a company, but for me, it's just funny. It's, you know, watching and observing what happens inside. <laughs> yeah though though i do remember one so i um oh i can i can i can re re-merge uh the branch conversation wise so i i started working on hibernate uh helping in the forum so i i read the documentation i was the first guy that translated the documentation in french uh why then I, why you did it you know it's a good question i think i wanted to contribute somehow mm-hmm. and so I would say ego, really, you know, at the core of it, when you think about it, uh, mm-hmm. when I started wanting to contribute to open source, wasn't for pure selfishness. It was really, you know, having my name somewhere, helping mm-hmm. people. So it was the helping people, which is, you know, what my mom taught me. So that that's a good side. But I think there was an ego side to it, like have my name somewhere. Mm-hmm which is not what my mom told me, but <laughs> well, no, no. anyways. You, uh, you are absolutely right. But uh, why I'm asking, because I was always um, at the beginning, I was asked by several open source projects to, you know, to translate something to German. And I never wanted, because if you translate something from English to German, it mostly sounds really funny, especially the enterprise stuff. It does. Uh, and this was completely stupid. So I always say, okay, uh, I think remember even the Heritian from NetBeans asked me, you know, and I say, this is completely stupid. I will never do this. And um, and uh, and I tell you why. Uh, do you understand a little bit German? Uh uh, well, I did German at school. Yeah, but I so, had so a then bad I will try you know to do. So, um, for instance, if you, you know in enterprise systems, you have Q queues, and yes. uh, and sometimes the queues are translated to German, and equivalent is snakes because they are Schlangen, and uh, okay. and and and, and uh, if you if you translate everything, it it sounds really really funny. So what I did for fun, you know, yeah. on some of my talks in German. I translated uh, word by word, you know, the whole enterprise J2E patterns to German. And this was okay. the best session ever because yeah. it was like, you know, uh, snakes listeners and and uh, 
the best one is message driven beans in german is like nachrichtengetriebene and beans are uh, uh, like you know the 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 weg beans is like bohne and this is like mm-hmm. uh, really funny so this is why i wanted to to know why you did it but um i think in french is uh, in, so I- in france is different so if if you have a uh, uh, french documentation the project becomes i think more successful because i remember i was exactly. in java user group somewhere in france and they use jonas it's like jonas application server why this And the answer was because there was a French documentation. Yeah, also it was driven by French people. So no, Jonas has a, a longer history because it, it came from uh, Object Web, which was a consortium where France Telecom at the time, or Orange nowadays, and uh, I think Bull, Bull and some other company joined. So it was a very French-driven okay. stuff. Um, yes, and they had, of course, French documentation because of that. But you're, you're right. So, well, it, it still sounds funny in French, but the thing is, maybe it's still to this day, but for sure, back in the days, people had a really hard time with English. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not even speaking as thinking about, you know, listening, uh, somebody speaking in English, but even writings, uh, reading. Mm-hmm. So they, The minute you had a French documentation, people you had a, a bump in adoption. Okay, like so super I got easy. It. Okay, so and then you con- so you translated the entire Hibernate documentation, or you contributed something, right? Yes. And uh, what did you yeah. then? So you contributed also code, or you stick with Hibernate? So what? Yeah. So I I started. Uh, so first of all, the, my hack life was to make the documentation be reviewed by my mom, which is much better at French and typos than I am. Hey, cool. So, you know, yeah. So she read that. So that's a funny part. So she's also um, she's also a contributor now to Hibernate, right? I, I guess so. Yeah, and I didn't to. put her name on it. So yeah, you have to do it Shame afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, what's the question? Yeah, so, yeah. So I started with helping a lot on the forum and then giving a little bit of patch. I I don't remember which patch first patch I gave, but back in the days we had. Um, CVS, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose, of yeah. SourceForge, and there was no notion of, um, you know, pull request or anything. So you were literally sending your diff file mm-hmm. as patch on the, on the mailing list. Mm-hmm. And I remember reviewing this, I don't know, maybe 10 lines of changed, but I reviewing over and over and over. Cause even if you want an ego deep down, you don't want to look like a fool. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's also related to the ego. So I reviewed it for, wait uh, 10 times too long in in practice and shipped it and i was eagerly waiting you know are they just gonna am i gonna burn in flame or you know for a stupid error and so on and then i remember gavin's just saying hey cool it's in thanks and i was like oh that's it (laughs) so so then i started to contribute patches on the side um and the first big project i did was when um when Gavin and well, when Jebos and Oracle decided to do EJB3, mm-hmm. right? So, EJB3, well, Java 5 came with annotations, and then people are like, all right, that's that's the well, at least at the, on the Jebos side, we knew they would be the, the future to get rid of all of this XML. We had Docklet back in the days, right? So yeah, Docklet, uh, exactly, Docklet, yes. Uh, which was great, by the way. We used it. Um, yeah, I used it a lot. Yeah, so. and by the way, Xdoclet. If you look, you know, the Xdoclet, uh, not annotations, rather than uh, how it's called parameters for the Doclet. Actually, they are very, very similar mm-hmm. to the annotations. I would say the Xdoclet was a great uh, proof of concept for late annotations. Right. I, I might be wrong, but I think 
Cédric Boeuf. Yes, exactly. Did X Docklet and he was also part of the annotation. No, the uh, Cédric Cédric Boost did the EJB yeah. Docklet from WebLogic and X Docklet ah, was the I open see. source. And I don't know how they are related because the EJB Docklet started with B uh, with BA and I think Cédric worked for BA and then in parallel there was a SourceForge project called X Docklet. And um, and the annotations were a little bit different. And the JBoss IDE, which was plugin for Eclipse, had a really good code completion for Xdoclet back then. What I remember. Cool. Yeah, I don't remember that part. Cool. I, I use it I know, all the time in all my projects, so I have to remember that. And I probably I still <laughs> still know the. I actually at EJB dot. I think name or something. This was the syntax. Like at, um, I did it a yeah. lot, you know, at EJB home dot. So it was the syntax and the annotations looked very similar to that. Yeah. Uh, what I wanted to to know, which patches you contributed. So you contributed lots of patches. Was was it the same area? Was the patch like uh, caching or what, what patches were there? So which bugs you fixed? No, I think, I don't fully remember. It wasn't probably the core core of um, Hibernate, which was even still is a bit harder to, to figure out, but you know, people had issues, and I was just proposing you know, fixes or a tiny new feature. So it was really, you know, I think uh, for the wannabe contributors here, uh, just just get started. I think it it got much better these days with GitHub and so on. Mm-hmm. But the you can start with a peripheral tiny features because uh, what I like is that nobody cares. You're not in the critical path, and it it will make you touch uh, a bit of um, the code base left and right at the periphery without having necessarily to understand it you know by fully up, up and down um and i find it a good way to learn the project by you know by doing that contribution yeah yeah exactly so you stick with hibernate and contributed more and more or what's the story behind yeah so the first story is that i at some point i said oh i want to contribute to open source and i Geronimo was just starting Apache. No, what was the name before that? No, I think Apache Geronimo was starting. And then they said, Oh, if you're interested, uh, put your name in this wiki page and, you know, we'll tell you what to do. So I put my name and nobody replied to me. <laughs> uh, so, so in parallel, I was, you know, looking at Hibernate and I contributed on the forum and some of those patches. And then one night I received an email say, Hey, congratulations. You got a at ibernet.org email address. And it was like the highlights of my month. <laughs> Cause I, you know, it was like, yeah, awesome. You know, I'm, I'm one of them. Uh, so the other part is like, if you're doing a open source project, please reward the people that are helping you, uh, from the outside. Um, that that's, that's an important aspect to show that you do appreciate the work they are doing. Yeah, so that's the I would say in general, two. you should you should know always you know highlight people who do some work. This is uh, also very important in companies. So what usually happens, you know, yes. developers are working all around the clock and no one says anything, and if something goes south, you know, everyone is angry, and this I hate that. So I think the management yeah. should really learn that uh, if developers work hard, they need uh, some kind of reward. Uh, and this can be not only verse; it could be vac- vacations or whatever. You know, this this is what 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 I never got why the companies operate so strangely. Yeah, but I know. So I, I lived a bit in a, in the US, and when I came back to France, what I realized is that France French specifically only mentioned stuff. I mean, a French engineer would tell you what you can do better. Mm-hmm. 
it, it can be implied that things are great already, but it's not said. Therefore, it doesn't exist, right? I, and I don't know. I imagine that the, the German uh, approach, cultural approach is somewhat similar, where we always like to strive to be a bit better, and then yeah. therefore we explain what's wrong. But you, you, yeah, you need to balance and explain what's good as well. Yeah, uh, that's important. Yeah, very good. So, um, uh, the question is, so yeah, so yeah, what? No, no, that's it. So back to your initial. So the, that these were the patches, and then I went to something more serious, and and Gavin was like, "Look, we're we're redoing EJBs, and I want you to explore how we can write uh, the what we, whatever we do in XML, the mapping with annotations." Mm -hmm. And I and I did. Um, essentially two prototypes one with you know super heavily nested annotations mm -hmm. uh, i came back with that and then I th that, that's another stuff that is frustrating but super useful is that i came back with that prototype and that gave gavin what not to do <laughs> okay um so when, when they started to work on that and uh, in the expert group they started to redesign uh, the annotation in a much much more flat way that's why you don't have a um, you know, at many to one with an at table inside it. No, not many to oh. one. Let's say many to one. So many. you meet the annotations for uh, JPA annotations, not the yes. not the stateless uh, EJB annotations, right? Well, if JB three, yeah, that's something <coughs> we need to remember. We need to well, remind both. people. It's like EJB was already persist. EJB two had persistence. Yeah, CMP. And the actual yes, and BMP. Mm -hmm. And also the uh, component management model, which we still remember as EJB. Yes. So when EJB3 came, it had both the, the JPA part mm -hmm. and the normal component EJB part. Exactly. And I think that's after that we split yes. the spec into yes. two. So, and you were uh, interested in the persistence part, right? Yes, exactly. So I, uh, so so Gavin came up with a more flat version, like at many to one at table that we now you see we know of. Today. We have now the proof that JCP make actually no stuff simpler. So you started as a <laughs> as a no with over complete over engineered solution, and then JCP kick in and everything became simpler, right? Yeah, and to be honest, for for two reasons, uh, one of the reasons Hibernate got created is that. Uh, is EJB2 persistence, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, CMP, because I was like, nobody wanted to use that. So, so Gavin started to, you know, work night and days on this stuff, uh, instead of doing his day job. And that's what became Hibernate. Of course, Toppling was there, but I'm talking about the, you know, open source yeah. thing. So I think I joined the JCP expert group uh, shortly after that. By the way, back in the days, that's how I came from Eclipse to IntelliJ. Because Eclipse took a long while to support Java 5 mm -hmm. and the annotations. Exactly. Because they have a different uh, compiler entirely than uh, Java C. Mm -hmm. And it take, took them a while or they didn't see it as a priority. And that's how I switched to IntelliJ at the time. Uh-huh. Cool. Um, I worked on... Yeah, so I joined the JCP to help, uh, you know, since I had... I was essentially writing what was called Hibernate annotations, which was the JPA binding layer, you know, on top of Hibernate. Mm -hmm. uh, and the entity manager, I co-worked with it, on it with, uh, with uh, I think, Bill Burke from the, you know, mm -hmm. RestEasy and uh, and JBoss, you know, foundation. Yeah, B thing. Bill Burke uh, was uh, back then a huge Corba guy, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, a question. Uh, you still were at Fnac or how the company was? No. Yeah. Yeah. I was still at, at the. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So. And you got so to, to and, your, yeah, and you got time, uh, company time to participate in JCP and all the stuff, or was it your leisure? Don't ask, don't tell. Okay, <laughs> was perfect. The thing um, I I was doing a lot of uh, night night work. Okay, but the the form help was definitely on the on the day, yeah, sure. day time as well. Okay. So the so I joined the expert group, and then it, this is my first like you know on the phone. Talking to English person with various accents, um, and, uh, you know, uh, TLAs, like three letter acronyms. And I remember this meeting where I joined and, you know, they are talking about EJB. And for people that know French, uh, when you, the way you spell, uh, E is E. Okay. And J is G. Okay. G. Uh huh. So EJB is how you say it in okay. French. EJB. EJB. Okay. And then I hear EJB. So I translate in my mind EJB. Okay. And I'm like, what is that? I don't understand. I don't understand. <laughs> so I literally understood nothing from that meeting <laughs> until later. I was like, that that doesn't make sense. I, and then I, it clicked into me. It's like, oh my god, yes, JG. Yeah. And then 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 I finally you know got got it. But on the phone with several people, you know, not the best. To get started, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if it's not your native uh, native language, but they knew you from 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 the mailing list, so it was not a huge problem, I think. What Gavin? No, Gavin. Uh, no, they didn't know me. So, so Gavin uh, talked to Linda uh, De Michel, yep. which mm -hmm. was the spec lead, and said, "Hey, uh, you know, we're, we're." I think it was at the time where we met the JDO guys, joined the EJB to work on the persistent side so so java data so object was, is very similar to i would say to hibernate or, or jpa but a little bit more complicated i would say that so detachment on attachment models were a little bit more evolved than jpa right yeah, yeah. and also technically they were not uh only about relational mm -hmm. uh, database engines mm -hmm. so there was like no sql before before it yeah so they, so the, some of the JDO guys came in and to keep a little bit of balance, uh, Gavin proposed that I would, that would join the expert group, um, which, which I did. So they didn't know me per se, except I was a hibernate guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and after that, JBoss, uh, hired me. So that, that's when I shifted from, from FNAC to, to JBoss proper. Okay. That's really interesting because, uh, in my mind, was uh, you were the for no reason bin validation guy, and then uh, you were the replacement of Gavin King. So you appeared on conferences, and you were the official Hibernate guy. So uh, I always thought, you know, uh, why? I mean, why you're doing Hibernate right now? Because I didn't knew your ba background, and you were re really deep in the whole, you know, Hibernate and JPA spec. But you were you did yeah. also some Hibernate valid, uh, um, not Hibernate bin validation stuff at the beginning, right? No, that was after after the time we were discussing here. So bin validation came later, of course, later. But this is how how you, I I saw you at conferences the first time uh, speaking about okay, bin validation and Hibernate search. You also did a lots of talks, great talks, Hibernate search with JMS replication. I remember. Yeah. So we met several times. I, I think I forgot which one came first. I suppose Hibernate validator came before Hibernate search. I guess so. Yeah. Um, but this was very and then early. We did the. 2005, 2006, what I'm speaking about. So I met you several times, Vienna Enterprise Conference okay. and Java One, and 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 once in 
France. Yeah. It was in the south of France. It was also a conference. Um, okay, and, wow. and what you was... did? What you did in JBoss? So, uh, so what was your first task at JBoss? Ah, yeah. So that that reconnects to something I wanted to say. So, first task. Uh, well, so first of all, first day at JBoss. Uh, so I, you know, I quit the Friday. Well, the end end the Friday, and the Monday is my first day at JBoss, and then I asked for a computer to be you know sent to me. Uh, so I I had received the laptop, and then I start the laptop, and then nothing. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll start working on the Hibernate stuff just the way I was doing it at night. So I work on it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and finally, you know, Gavin calls me. Ah, oh, sorry, we just you know. Totally forgot. Uh, hey, welcome. And then he made a proper introduction into the company. But for two or three days, it was like, all right, I guess I'll keep doing my open source stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, and that's what I did for the, essentially for 75% of my time, just working on the, the Hibernate side. Uh, though we had a, a mailing list called the core with all of the, essentially all of the company. And that's where we were brainstorming, you know, market, what people need. So it was not limited to persistence, but but generally. So you were always, so you were working on your area, but you were making a contribution, making a dance globally, you know, to address how people should you know, write application mm -hmm. easier. What what I'm wondering, you are you always mentioning uh, Gavin King, but uh, were you yeah. you were actually hired by Mark Flurry, right? Or, or or Gavin was behind. Gavin was so the so Jebos was. Almost all of his history somewhat uh, positive cash flow, mm -hmm. so they didn't want to grow too fast mm -hmm. and hire too many people, and then uh, you know uh, go the VC route too too early. Exactly. Um, so they hired people in the various areas slowly. So you know started uh, the the whole core JBoss was was hired you know quite quite uh, quite a bit before, but on the Hibernate side, so they. They made a bit of a partnership agreement with the Gavin and uh, Christian Bauer mm -hmm. uh, at the time, and they said, "Well, let's let's give us a year and see if we like each other or if we if we're not." Right? Ah, were, everybody I, was like, "I forgot." You know, so the JBoss, they they had uh, some exactly. They had some partnership with Hibernate. So that was the Hibernate and JBoss were two distinct entities at the beginning, right? Yeah, there was no real Hibernate entity. I know Gavin and Christian were doing consulting. Mm -hmm. at the time mm -hmm. and the other guys were just uh, you know helping yeah this fight. is what I, what I completely forgot for me is now you know Hibernate and Jabos and Red are the same thing but they were separate entities yeah it wasn't yeah yeah uh, that's that's a curse of um, people say oh you know Jabos is controlled by the the say wildlife code base is mostly Jabos people but it's just because we hired the contributors over and over until we reach a plateau essentially mm -hmm. um, uh, so the yeah so so they hired the key person on the Hibernate side. So I was probably fifth on the line. So they there was Gavin Christian, and then uh, Steve Ebersol was working a lot on the core code Steve base. Steve who? Steve. Uh, Steve Ebersol. Okay. He's still leading Hibernate ORM. He's doing most of the most of the work here. Okay, cool. Then uh, Max Max Anderson was doing the Eclipse tooling uh, and the whole reverse engineering, you know, of your database, generating the Hibernate model and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So they hired Max and then they hired me. And the deal was uh, there's too many European in this team and we need some people in the US because uh, JBoss had this model where 
as a software engineer, you are doing 75% of your time as software engineer and 25% billable. And it could be consulting, it could be training, it could be uh, support. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, the, the support people worked 75% on support and 25% on, on coding. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are starting a company. I find it, it it's a great model because you, you still connect it to end customers and you see the real pain. Uh, it's really a, you know, really awesome model. It's, it's harder to maintain when the company grows, but. Yeah, um, really I think cool. this is incredibly important. So what I notice sometimes in the my you know J2E Java E world, that sometimes you know the container developers have no association with real world projects, and they are really concerned about you know the quality of the container, and forgot a bit uh, how how it is used in real world. So if you you know at least have you see some you know support issues, or if you deliver some training, so you're exposed to the clients, and the clients can ask you questions. So I think this is actually a really good model. Yeah, I agree. Perfect. Um, that's, this is a bit of a peak in the deep future, but uh, Quarkus, that's what we wanted. We wanted, um, we, we have people that keep an eye on the holistic experience because sometimes you're just going to optimize the CDI implementation, but it doesn't mean it's helping. No no one knows at this time, uh, time point what Quarkus actually is. So we have, you know, to, to <laughs> now, <laughs> now <laughs> to... Uh, to evolve uh, until the road to Quarkus. So um, you did the yeah. uh, the Hibernate stuff, and um, I probably did so around two thousand six, two thousand seven already, right? Mm. Which Hibernate stuff? So what? Yeah. So the yeah, I joined I joined JBoss in two thousand five, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was Java five. So uh, Hibernate stuff until I got tired of said the whole. I'm sick of of uh, you know uh, JPA, and then that's why you know Hibernate Validator got created. That's why the whole Hibernate search got created by just saying, "Look, I'm I'm just tired of that. Uh, I'm doing a bit of a burnout." Uh, and what was really cool, um, you you created the the validator. The uh, you were the initiator of Bean Validation. Yeah, so Gavin wrote a you know a two day prototype, and then I took over. Okay, so G Gavin so had he, the, he got the, the idea. idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I actually stole it from somebody. I forgot who. Um, somebody else had that ideas a bit before us. Okay, we just uh, copied that from somewhere. Else. Sorry for the lack of attribution. No, no problem. So now we attributed this. Now it's solved, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, and um, so bin validation. Then you did the bin validation stuff, and you were the spec lead, as I remember. So uh, yeah. I attended a lot of Java One session. Uh, just uh, listen what you have to say about bin validation. Hibernate search was actually incredibly successful, I have to say. So in all project, everyone asked me about Hibernate search. So uh, I actually also use it, Hibernate search, several times and worked well. And mm -hmm. I remember your cool. talks were also interesting with the GMS synchronization and indexing. So it was always fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always. Uh, it's not a retrofit, but sometimes you start with an idea and then. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, why I, I, I love my, when my talks are like, you know, what's the context? What's the problem? And here is the, therefore, here is why we created that solution that way, right? So the way you describe this on the Hibernate search. So for people who don't know, it's, it's essentially synchronizes the change you do via Hibernate to your database with a Lucene index and no Elasticsearch index. Uh, because that's one of the part that is a bit hard. So either you re-index on the fly every 
every now and then your database or you have a bit of an event system telling something has changed and then please update the change. Yeah. And in one so, project in the, this was actually a startup, so we used the Hibernate search to have full text search for uh, for the fields and we use uh, some, uh, just you have to use those particular annotations for the index and, and configure which algorithm you would like to have, more or less, you know, Elasticsearch algorithm and it worked out of the box. Yeah, mm -hmm. the analyzers. Yeah, that, that's yeah. how you split uh, a string into into exactly. Keywords. But yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. and uh, and Hibernate Search is still uh, keeps the name Hibernate Search, or is this part of OGM now? No, no, no. It's still Hibernate Search. It's still the um, name. Okay, Hibernate Search. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, that was that. That's how the next gen of Hibernate people. So. You know, the first, the first gen of Hibernate people were like, you know, Gavin and Christian. And then the second gen was like me, Steve, Max. And then you got a third generation with, um, um, Hardy and Sunny that came because of validator and search because Hibernate become, Hibernate ORM becoming a bit, um, I mean, it's a fairly mature project even back at the time. And therefore contributing is a bit hard on those super mature projects. Yes. Um, so, you know, having those fresh projects, satellite projects also helps to, you know, get pick the interest of other people and also addressing problems. So that, that's a good part. So marketing. Mm, evangelization. Yeah. Which yeah, is yeah even yeah. worse of a name, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, um, but, but then you also did a little bit of OGM work, right? Object grid mapping with Hibernate. You, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was later. So the, it came from the, you know, Google came up with Google App Engine mm -hmm. and they wanted a persistence layer to, to their, was it big, big table, I guess, mm -hmm. um, exactly. layer. And, and they said, look, um, can we make a Hibernate talk to non-relational databases? And we were like, you know, it's really deeply ingrained in the, in the logic of the of the the library, so no, we don't think so. So, so that's why they they went for this the JDO implementation. Sorry, I'm blanking on the name. It's in a, at Apache, I think. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. There's the uh, nucleus, data nucleus, data nucleus. Uh, exactly, there's different yeah. adapters, data nucleus, uh, different adapters for uh, for persistence. Data nucleus.org, JDO JPA persistence yeah. layer. Exactly. Uh, but then, you know, we kept talking to the Google guys, but, you know, at the back of the, 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 the mind, it was like, damn, is it really impossible? And then, you know, I, I reset my, it probably was one of those times where I got tired of, um, maybe Hibernate search or the bin validation work. Uh, you know, I, I, I wrote a book on Hibernate search, which was great. Uh, I recommend book-driven development. Mm -hmm. It's actually much better than uh, conference-driven developments, but it addresses the same model where you're thinking about the use case because you're explaining stuff and you're showing how you use the API. So it's uh, exactly to your point where you say, sometimes they had this new thing, but you don't know why or how to use it. That's because people forget to say, okay, how would it be used in real life? Mm -hmm. And so we had changed a little bit the API while I was writing the book to just so I could explain why we were mm -hmm. <laughs> having that API mm -hmm. and so on. But, um, you know, I know you've written quite a few books, but for me, it was a pretty traumatic experience. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, uh, for me, it was different. So what I, what happens in my case, I, I do some projects, 
then I think, okay, what can be improved? And what I usually do, I open source some of the stuff. So I rewrite it completely from scratch and make it better. And then I write mm -hmm. a small application first, and then I explain it usually in a book, so something like this, so that this is done faster. So this is really, you can write really fast if you do this. But uh, I always did it, you know, in planes and trains, and now I don't travel too much. So the last few ah. years I didn't wrote any books. This was the only reason, because this, I spent all, all my time in coding or, uh, you know, different stuff. Okay, yeah. so um, interesting. So you were tired, and then so OGM I, started. So you also started OGM, yeah, so or was it Gavin? Yeah, I started OGM. Cool. Uh, and the idea was, okay, is it? So let's let's reset the assumption. Like you know, you know the uh, the idiom idiom. Uh, I didn't know it was impossible, therefore I did it. Yeah. <clears throat> kind of model. So so that that's what I, I artificially said. Well, if it's not impossible, and then I started to hack. It was really a hack, but you know, essentially fork some pieces of ORM and and rework some parts and and use otherwise the uh, the engine uh and that's how we got yeah so OGM the name comes from object grid mapper mm -hmm. because the usage the use case we had was uh Infinispan is a key value store distributed lots of value but very quickly customers want a bit of an abstraction like an object layer on top of it mm -hmm. and um we felt we could do an object grid mapper that would, you know, essentially address even associations and stuff like that and do the right mapping for, for people. Mm -hmm. And then when I worked on that, I realized, you know, I've, I've written a bit of an abstraction engine over, over the, the backend source structure. So you could have dialects that could talk to other structures like document based, uh, you know, um, backends or, graph-oriented databases and so on and so on. So that's how we expanded the OGM, you know, support for Mongo and then Neo4j and, and so on. Mm -hmm. And the idea was to say, let's, let's try and see how would you map this object and this association in a native way if you were to persist it into this graph database or this document database and so on. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that was the exploration on the, on the OGM side. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, sometimes it works and sometimes doesn't, right? I mean, uh, the, the, uh, the mapping always works, but uh, sometimes I don't need Java objects for persistence. So if I have, for instance, Elastic and, you know, JavaScript frontend, JSON P mm -hmm. would be nice because I just, you know, pass right. JSON object back and forth. But if you have more business logic, then the JSON B or now, you know, like proper Java classes are, are, are better or more suitable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and to be fair, we had uh, less success than I hoped on the OGM side. And I think it really comes to what you're saying. I think uh, as part of those no SQL usage, there is a strong distinction between Okay, that's simple enough, and I just get uh, this, you know, five, ten entity model deal with dealt with, and ten might be at the fairly high end, um, and then I just get get going, and and then the it, the, the other more complex case is, is really a subset. So unlike unlike JPA and and ORMs, uh, ORMs got helped not only because for for two reasons uh, you. People do create very complex relational structures in in RDBMSs, so so the model is more naturally much more very complex. Um, the other aspect is that JDBC as a API is is very verbose and annoying to use. So that, there was two reasons why you know ORM became very popular, I think, mm -hmm. in the in the Java landscape. Yeah, 
this is less the case in the you know no RM uh, universe because at least they didn't make the JDBC mistake. Yeah. Right. And if you keep your model somewhat simple, so I guess a graph database would be different because they they do have inherently complex structures. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, for document and key value store, even worse, it's a much much simpler model. Mm -hmm. And then you get bored with OGM. No, I. Uh, what happened? No, I. So then I go more into the architect type uh, because what we realize is, uh, you, by the way, at that uh, very early on, like a year after I joined JBoss, essentially Red Hat acquires us. Mm -hmm. um, so we be become Red Hat. But what we realize is that we. Well, was it any difference for you? So JBoss time and Red Hat time? So any, any difference except, you know, different t shirt? <laughs> yes, it's very different um, for a few reasons. Uh, the so first of all, the engineering remained mainly intact. So that was a feat of uh, of Sacha Labouré at the time that you know took over when uh, Mark uh, just just left mm -hmm. Mark Fleury, mm -hmm. and he really kept the team you know happy and in the same same approach and so on but there is a few things that that changed in the in the red hat when we joined red hat is you go from a 200 company where you feel you're making a change by every contribution you make mm -hmm. into at the time i think a 2000 ish company mm -hmm. where it's less obvious right so it, so it's a whole startup big company problem that some people never managed to adjust to mm -hmm. uh uh, you know that 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 can just kill the motivation for quite a few people. Yeah, but this is just your perception uh, from the outside. It looked like you know nothing changed. So I was still excited about new Whitefly. Really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. New Whitefly, uh, new Whitefly releases, and uh, and the Red Hat. If you, as I have to say it now, but if I switch you know to the JBoss or Red Hat stuff, so I didn't even know what they are talking about. Like you no know, JBoss Enterprise Middleware or whatever. I was like, okay, I don't know what it is, mm. and then just switch you know to the back org stuff and then i knew and if yeah. my clients wanted to have support they got the support you know afterwards so this was the the model and it worked well yeah. so this is why the question so i, I have to say you know the all the contributions are as visible as always even probably more because then now you have like a screencast red hat screencast and different stuff which was uh not that popular before i would say yeah red hat's took them a while, but they realized developer is really important. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's less important in the operating system level, yeah. right? The, the sales the sales process is very different. Uh, it's essentially selling boxes, mm -hmm. right? I'm oversimplifying, of course, mm -hmm. but selling an operating system is just like, oh, by the way, we are going in production next week, so mm -hmm. can we get more? Mm -hmm. Sure, go ahead. Um, for, for middleware, uh, this is deeply entrenched into the projects you know startup decision making on the stack and you you know go in production way later you know i mean no, we're more agile hopefully nowadays but you know a year 18 months mm -hmm. later is not uncommon exactly. um so the the sales cycle is is um is very different and it took them a while to realize and then um at the same time the notion of the developer is king was growing mm -hmm. As in, they are the decision maker. So you say, you know, the developer just get the blame, but I think it, this is changing to. I, I'm seeing it in France. The developer have, you know, uh, a much much more say into yeah, things, yeah. and up to the point where we we as developer have to have a bit of an ethic, right? Uh, don't get the latest flashy thing. Uh, 
uh, if it puts your company in jeopardy, right? Yeah. If you leave or, you know, it just stuff just dies and, and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay. So um, then what happened? So OGM, Red Hat acquired JBoss? Yeah, so Red Hat acquires JBoss, uh, but that's back, back in the GP, uh, right after the whole GPA being written. So bin validation, all of that is under Red Hat. Um, bin validation, OGM, Hibernate Search, I think, is also under Red Hat. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably the 2006 to 8 uh, timing. Mm -hmm. um, I... I work, uh, hold on, where did I do? Yeah, so, so what we realized is that we've, we've got a bunch of unrelated communities. So, and uh, you were the uh, architect, you said. At Red Hat, you became yeah, the so, architect. So that, that's why we start to somewhat create architects because we've got the InfiniSpan team doing their stuff. Jebos Cache was the name prior and then InfiniSpan. Then we've got Hibernate doing their stuff. We've got Vertex doing their stuff and whatnot, right? And, and there is a, there is Java EE that giving is giving us a bit of a consistency to some extent, but generally speaking, the, this is just a bunch of community and Red Hat taps, uh, that community work and make a, you know, a Uber product out of it. Uh, but what we realized is that there is so much you can do by being somewhat dis, dis, um, disassociated like that. And we, we wanted to have, uh, I mean, not a, a total top, not a top down approach, but more like have people a bit stepping away and thinking about, but what do we want to do globally? Right. Um, you know, what, what, here is the problem. How do we address it? And what changes has to be done in the three, four, five, six different communities? And that required some people to step a bit away from the day-to-day -day work of their local community and think a bit more globally. So I became a little bit of that. Um, uh, but that didn't stop me for, you know, uh, you know, helping the InfiniSpan side. I, I worked a bit. I'm not sure I contributed a lot, but I, I on design wise, I was, you know, somewhat, uh, somewhat involved on that. I, uh, didn't, I don't think I coded a single line of Divisium, but I influenced, uh, a lot of the design. Um, so Divisium got, uh, started at Red Hat by, uh, Randall Osh, uh, and then, uh, got taken over by, uh, Gunnar Morling. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Divisium, for people who don't know, is the change data capture system. So they listen to the database log and create change events of it, which means then you can plug uh, and put that in Kafka. Mm -hmm. And then you can plug listeners to those uh, list of events and replay the history of your state to compute all the states based off that original state. So it opens a lot of possibility in the event-driven architecture model and you know many other use cases. Mm -hmm. So I, I was still everything data at, at Red Hat, you know, I was, I was pushing for. So, and you see OGM was here initially for InfiniSpan. So you see, we're trying to do stuff that makes sense for us as a bigger picture, but it also helps the community. So that's, that's how I, I spent some of my time. Okay. Um, and then, and then Quarkus. Okay. I think that, yeah. I guess that's nice. So thing. as architect, so you, uh, so you had also to use PowerPoint. <laughs> um, so, as architect, I first used uh, Google Doc. Okay, very good. So this was uh, a, this because was, I wanted this was a, the the longest thinking phase, you know, in this podcast episode. This question. <laughs> no, because I'm like, 
my, my initial thinking was like, of course not. And then, <laughs> well, actually did present a lot internally. So, and then I was trying to think, well, what came first, right? So yes, as architect, you take a step back, talk to people more. Um, and, um, and then once I got, I figured stuff out enough, I designed, well, I, I wrote down what, what we call the, the data strategy for us. And I'm happy to report that, you know, it's been like, two, two, three years. And so far the, you know, uh, what's in that document doesn't have to change a lot. Yeah. I mean, uh, Kubernetes has changed some names and so on, but the, the move towards, uh, where we are going with service, you know, oriented middleware, uh, is really there. Uh, so, so that vision took a little bit to aggregate in my mind and then propagate and write down in the, in a document, but then it's stable and people can refer to it to, to be consistent in how they work, mm -hmm. right? And then, of course, yes, I had to create Google Drive, Google yeah. whatever, Google presentation stuff to show it to people. But that's more the product building aspect. So that's more of an internal sausage. No, uh, I was I was just I, I, I was just curious about your reaction, you know. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so cool. And uh, so you already mentioned Quarkus. So afterwards, uh, Quarkus happened. Yeah. So. The so in parallel to that, so of course I'm not, you know, the you know, I never I didn't realize it would be uh, so centric on me that podcast. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it always is. That's uh, that's a bit uncomfortable. Well, I didn't know, I actually haven't listened to to an episode of your podcast. So, so there was one I, episode I to, about Debizium already, Debizium yeah. with Gunnar, Debizium, Debizium. Yeah. okay, uh, uh, no problem because, um. I mean, what's also interesting is the whole history, you know, because uh, in lots of projects, people ask yeah. me why Java E and why it was so complicated. And, and, and the answer is what you already said. It was not possible before to do it without Java 5, for instance, right? There were no annotations before Java 5, so we had to use XML, period. And um, so yeah. this is uh, interesting. But um, so b after your uh, last PowerPoint presentation, you got uh, bored with Google Docs and then you started something else. And what, what happened afterwards as an architect? Uh, yeah, something failed. I won't go into the detail internal stage again. But yeah, I'm like so. First of all, um, this I, I I did it for the greater cause. Like I believed in what in the in the strategy. I do believe in the strategy and so on. But I'm a I like to code, right? Uh, just just like you. So it it gets very frustrating, and because the the goal is more like a three year five year plan, mm -hmm. and you don't see the results, you know, mm -hmm. very fast, mm -hmm. right? And when you fail, you fail slow. Mm -hmm. So that that sucks. Um, so I that that was hitching, and then in parallel to that, um, I wasn't so much involved, but there's been a lot of performance work that has been done by the. The middleware team, uh, you know, for example, Hibernate, let's make it faster inside Wildfly uh, on, you know, industry benchmarks, uh, specjs and whatnot. So that creates a lot of optimization where we look at how applications run and how, what to optimize and so on. Um, and, and the idea was throughput, right? Throughput, throughput, throughput. Yes. Let's get the most out of the machine. And that's how you, you score very high on, on specj. And then something happened, uh, containers, where, where the idea is, well, the way you scale is you take the one instance and you make 10 of them, and that's how you scale. So the throughput per process is actually not that useful anymore, less useful, let's say. Mm -hmm. uh, so stuff like Ruby that you know could have a, a less of a throughput uh, are back in the game because 
it's much easier to create a cluster of that application by having, you know, many processes uh, in an orchestrated fashion, declarative orchestrated fashion. And Java then becomes um, at a disadvantage uh, because Java is super, was designed for throughput, like one process cranking up as much requests per second as possible. Mm-hmm. They wanted to beat C, right? I think James Gosling would want it to be faster than C. Mm-hmm. And when it became the server side, you know, model, that was the same, just an extension of that. And, and to do that, they had to trade, you know, it's always trade-offs. So they traded a little bit of CPU, but to be honest, I think Java is, is pretty good on the CPU side, but it's a, a bit slow to start, uh, because they keep a lot of information and they, so they traded CPU and they traded memory to be, super efficient at throughput. Mm -hmm. And when you look at a container, uh, you don't want to pay a high memory and startup time Mm -hmm. to be in the end, super efficient throughput wise. You'd rather start fast and then add more containers, the more you need, right? So Java is like, hey, I come with this. Well, hello world is a special case, but I come with this, uh, you know, two, 250 RSS uh, resident set size memory usage mm-hmm. and to do your simple hello world rest, mm-hmm. you know, application. And people are like, well, I do that with 10 times the 10, 10 times less memory in this other platform. So, you know, goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so we've been trying to optimize that and figure out what's, what's wrong, right? What's going on? Um, so we have the open JDK team. We've got the uh, middleware team and. At JBoss and then at Red Hat, we yell at each other all the time, right? It's more like frank conversations than just uh, being uh, politically correct and, you know, protecting and so on. Of course, you know, we try to be more inclusive. <laughs> uh, there is this general <laughs> inclusive trend that, you know, has changed um, that a lot. But essentially, it, it's always honest conversation about what's going on. So middleware is like, look, we consume a lot of memory and it's not so much the memory of the application itself. It's all in the meta space. It's all the classes and so on. So we go to the OpenJDK team and say, you guys use too much memory. And the OpenJDK team is like, you guys use too much classes. It's like, well, okay, fair enough. But so we, we try to optimize and we optimize the, the middleware uh, to be more container friendly, uh, not only in uh, usage and patterns, a lot of things are not no longer useful. The notion of a cluster management that in an app server is less useful in a Kubernetes universe mm-hmm. because Kubernetes is your, you know, cluster management. And what do you opti- um, optimize? You optimize the whitefly, like, you know, you just introduce a standalone mode or what, what was the optimization in particular? So what, what product you optimized? Yeah. So whitefly was always the, f- okay. The, the flagship okay. because the advantage of that is you all of the components get the it's the trickle down effects if you want to optimize wildfly you have to optimize hibernate and okay. uh, you know Na- narayana the transaction okay. manager and the jca connector so this was the aggregation point mm-hmm. yeah exactly it's just the it's the fedora of of you know of jbus okay, it's cool. the upstream really um, and you were behind the optimization or everyone? So was it your job? No, I was not. I, I, I know I know of that. You know, Sane, for example, is much more of that kind of guy. I'm who, not who? into uh Sane Genovero is is he took over search, Hibernate Search, and he's really the the current lead of the Hibernate team. Okay. Uh, you know, organizing, you know, where we go on the validator okay. and okay. search and, and so on. Um Yeah. 
you already yelled at each Sorry. other. You were a bit, a little bit more inclusive, yes. but uh, so no. So we improve stuff, but it's really incremental, and it's not like a breakthrough. Um, so we know we have to change stuff in a somewhat radical fashion, and the the end. I don't know if it was clear in our mind, but the end result is like metaspace is too high in in the in the Java ecosystem. So I do not want to blame OpenJDK because this is the Java ecosystem problem. What's happening is that OpenJDK, because of the Java language specification, Java is actually a dynamic language whether, or the platform, whether we like it or not. So they have to keep around a massive amount of meta information to be able to literally change the code on the fly. So of course they have the just-in-time compiler. So that means they need to keep track of which part is used a lot in your classes, uh, which part has to be then compiled to compile a, a bit better, compile massively better, you know, the C1, C2 level mm -hmm. of the compiler. Um, so they need to keep those statistics around. They need to keep what, you know, what has been compiled, which is usually in memory, what has not been compiled and keep the interpreter around. Uh, so all of that uh, class structure is stored in the meta space and and it's useful. You cannot say, well, I'll disable it because I don't need it. In practice, you do because the Java ecosystem is abusing the, the dynamic aspects of Java. We, we start, you know, Hibernate starts, read an XML file, do re reflection left and right, do class pass scanning. All of that is dynamic, mm -hmm. right? Um, so you cannot really optimize the JVM to say, you know, that's just the one way. And then, uh, let's get rid of the extra, mm -hmm. extra load. Mm -hmm. Same for Spring. I think same for everything. That's the really an ecosystem thing. That's why I'm saying that that that's the blame. Mm -hmm. So we we feel that something has to change here, uh, cons fully consciously or not. Uh, and then um, ahead of time compilation happens uh, for real. So the ahead of time compilation is the idea to of taking your Java application and not do interpreted and then just in time compile, but compile everything you know from the get go. And there were, there were quite a few stuff going on. There is uh, uh, something called Elixir, I think. Uh, no, something Elixjet or something like that, which was this head of time compiled uh, VM. Uh, there is GC4J or GCJ, sorry, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, somebody uh, in the OpenJDK team at Red Hat, you know, was the leader, is the leader of, uh, but none of them really really caught up uh, and then uh, the by the way Oracle... have, you, have you heard ab yep. about maxwell maxwell yes so um no, actually except I... as a cpu haven't. and <laughs> uh, no uh, yeah uh it was the attempt there was some microsystems still around and they tried to build the jvm in java itself and uh to, in order to optimize that and it was project maxwell and uh, i thought i have wrote a blog post about that i don't know 10 years ago and I still found the reference, but it was okay, broken link. But this is how, how they started, you know, to try to have. I think this was the start of the GraalVM. Yeah, because what's yeah, so because the the biggest piece of so GraalVM is uh, just a it's a complicated right now. It's but just an umbrella for a lot of technology. We should skip but the core of it. We should skip the GraalVM, yeah. otherwise we don't get to Quarkus. So. Um, Okay. All right. <laughs> so but just, just quickly. So Graal, the compiler is really the compiler written in Java. So at least out of Maxwell, at least that, that survived, mm -hmm. I suppose. Yeah. Cool. Right. And, uh, and the so yeah, so we see, 
Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no. Uh, the, um, what I understand is, so you saw that the startup time has to be improved and there's uh, lots of uh, reflection and dynamic stuff is going on. This was the observation. And uh, who yeah, was but, behind but it? But not quite. So, so who, who was behind, the time behind uh, in Red Hat, behind uh, the, the whole movement? Was it like, you know, all the communities find it out or was it like, you know, uh, someone was behind? So, did, I mean, you know, who was the driving so force? we know... Yeah. So two things. So, you know, everybody knew that, you know, people using the app server uh, instead of going things like the Spring Boot way was definitely was really on the down, down curve, right? So mm -hmm. we're like, okay, we need to think about something else. And, you know, in, in very open source fashion, we, we tried quite a few things, right? We have Vertex, you know, which is a pure reactive way to do applications. We've, we had Wildflight Swarm, which was like a, you know, Wildfly doesn't start you, you start Wildfly model, which got renamed Thorntail. Mm -hmm. Then we got MicroProfile, which tries to make a, you know, a smaller set of, you know, whatever would be needed, uh, you know, compared to Jakarta EE. Mm -hmm. um, so these are explorations to try and make stuff smaller and more aligned to how people want to write applications, whether microservice or not so microservice, but, you know, in the new era. And... So that's really built on top of all of that effort. And then we see, we see Graal VM, uh, Substrate VM really. And then, then we do a bit of an experiment. Like, can we make? So, so uh, what is great about Graal VM is that, that the, so by the way, it's not startup time. We wanted to optimize its uh, memory usage because it's. It's really the cost that is hitting you and makes you uncompetitive in the whole co uh, container approach. If you want 10 times the your application, if you have a big high level, big high level memory cost, that that's killing you. So that's what we wanted to optimize. And they had really great number for that, but also great limitations, which is no reflection unless you give us the list of classes you want to do reflection on. Uh, same for proxies. Uh, I, I think that's the biggest one if we, if we want to move on to Quarkus. Mm -hmm. So, so we're like, can we build, can we, can we take our libraries and make them do all of that reflection stuff, not at runtime, because then you would not optimize towards, you know, substrate VM as much as you should, but at build time. And that's, that's the shift and the exploration we started with. And I started that with, um, uh, Jason Green, which uh, was the lead of uh, Whitefly, mm -hmm. and um, which he, he gave to uh, Brian Stransbury now, uh, and uh, Bob McWhither, the uh, serial open source, you know, entrepreneur. He did Druze, uh, Codehouse, uh, you know, quite a few things mm, cool. around. He likes to start projects. So uh, you were you were at the exploration from the beginning. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what is the beginning, right? You're always ba based on something else, right? But yes, the beginning of the project proper, yes. Yeah, of the, you know, the first commit to a common repository, something like this, right? Just how, how. Well, the funny thing is that we, we did a bit of like, you know, real, really drafty POC. And then we, we take, we take a bigger team of like, you know, five, six people and we say, okay, we need to get started. And then there's lots of discussion, like how we should design it this way, that way, that way. And then at some point, somebody go in a pub and write the first actual lines of code of what becomes Quarkus. And it said, all right, I know you guys talk, but here is my first version. And we're like, all right, let's stop talking and let's keep improving this stuff. So that, that's why the first lines of code of Quarkus got started in a, in a pub. So-called, uh, you know, pub factor, you know? 
Pub Factor, yeah. <laughs> Very <Exactly>. good. <laughs> the first internal name was the name of the pub, really. <laughs> oh, really? Really? Yeah. yeah the well, we had the name of the initiative and the name of the framework to do so that. So what was the, then the project Shamrock name? Can, can you reveal that or is it secret? So what was the secret name? So Shamrock was then, I think it, you might see it in the early history of the Gitche repo. So Shamrock was the name of the framework uh -huh. that is now known as Quarkus. Mm -hmm. And the initiative was named Protean. Mm -hmm. Uh, except Protean is the name of a company in England uh, doing software, so okay. that was we couldn't keep that name. And, and the pub name? What was it? Protean was the pub name. Sham Shamrock. Shamrock was the no, pub. No, Shamrock. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I believe it could be offensive for Irish people and so on. I haven't looked it up. But anyway. no, no. So we we won't cut it out. But this is just no secret name. No. <laughs> so perfect. Exactly. So okay. And uh, yeah. When so so we start and we you know we had this uh so our CTO says okay you you got three months come back with you know uh, uh good results and we said okay we want the minimum viable thing so we want CDI we want some persistence and we want rest mm -hmm. right so we take rest easy try to make the work like do stuff at build time we look at CDI and the, our weld implementation and we realize quickly that we have to rewrite it to do build time work instead of Lots of reflection and one-time work, and and we're like, okay, we need persistence. And I was like, you know, Hibernate is gonna be hard, but uh, let, let's try and give it a try. And I was sort of pushing for it, where Jason was like, are you sure? It looks like a risk, and so on. But we we tried, and we had to also fix the JDBC drivers because they were not working on on Graal VM. So we we explore that. We worked. We had to cut a lot of features and 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 things, but in the end, we've got. We've got the, you know, CDI, REST endpoint talking to a database via Hibernate and it's running and it's showing the numbers we wanted, which was being in the ballpark of a Go application doing the same. Yeah. Well, when was the pub event, roughly? So uh, Quarkus was released. Oh, the pub event is like June. Last year? 2000. Yeah, last year. And, and 2018. Oh, okay, cool. And, and you are still located in, in, in France or were you somewhere else? Yeah, I'm in France. Okay, cool. Yeah. And the pub was in France? No, the pub was in Australia. Ah. So at the time, I was exploring the Hibernate site. So I was helping Sunny. We were hacking on the on that aspect of things uh -huh. while they were working on the core of things, which was the let's do stuff at real time. Okay. So now uh, we covered exactly the road to Quarkus. And now I give you some, my point of view, my feedback. So um, yeah. I uh, so as you probably know, I really like Whitefly. So uh, I was a little bit... Uh, not concerned, but I really uh, never got the idea why Whitefly gets the microprofessor port so late. And um, and I was at the Java one, no, Code one last year, and there were some people from Tontail and Swarm and asked me you know, about my opinion about Tontail and all the stuff. And I say, I, I have to say, I don't even know a use case. I mean, Whitefly is small enough and the tone tail is not like our way smaller and you know they're fiddling with all the dependencies I, I i wouldn't use it in a project and they never said nothing and walk away is okay and then you know uh and then quarkus was on the so when, when when was that it was uh it was a uh, code one what was it september last year okay and who was that was it uh ken finningham uh, i think so ken and the other so you know usual suspects and they attended my session like yeah. microservices where I did Whitefly and then they asked me, I was not rude, but I say, okay, I never, I, I can tell you, I have no idea, I know why the whole swarm thing is useful. 
and uh, I never use it in a project, and and I cannot tell you know what use cases does it solve, and why is small enough. And they say, yeah, okay, but I had no time, so I, you know there are no time for politics. After after the talk, I had ten minutes, and they asked me about my opinion about microservices and Whitefly, and always gave the same opinion to John Klingen and the others actually, mm-hmm. because in my project this is the memory. It was not that. Uh, not that problematic what I saw, of course, the marketing need that we need something smaller. But what many people or developers forget, how performant one single server can actually get, you know, the use case that you have start, you know, runtimes uh, properly, the use cases uh, for, for cloud vendors or for Netflix, Google or Facebook. But most of my clients don't have such problems. But regardless. And then I saw Quarkus and I say, okay, probably another iteration of, you know, Whitefly Swarm or whatever the name right now is. And I gave it a shot. Mm-hmm. What I uh, what I didn't like at the very beginning is you know the Quarkus column dev. I was like, what the hell? I need a specific plugin. So what I did, I deactivated everything. And this was I created actually a screencast then later. And I say, okay, it still works. So okay, good news. You know, no magic. You can also use it as a as a regular stuff. Then I took a look at the Fed jar, or however it's called it, and I say the Fed jar is too big for a thin war and too small for a for a fetch jar, and I noticed that there is the manifest MF with references to the lib, and I say this is actually really interesting. And and for me, this is uh, why I ask you so many questions. Was uh, I thought what happened was like you know some Whitefly engineers noticed that um, if you ship, for instance, Whitefly to the cloud, let's say, then mm-hmm. um, if you ship it to the cloud. Uh, this deployment model doesn't make any sense because uh, what I have for years in my project is we have one application server and one war, and this is one unit, right? And if you ship the mm-hmm. Whitefly to the cloud, you have to ship, you know, the XML parsers and the deployments and the scanners. And then, of course, the, the attack surface is larger and, you know, the everything is uh, bigger and, and slower. So what you could do, you could, of course, read at the build time, everything and you know, and ship just what you need to production. This is what I thought is the strategy, and I thought about this, and this is genius. I'm saying this is this is really genius idea because uh, this is like you know a true evolution of Java E. So it's the same programming model, but a way improved experience. And uh, and then I have to tell you, the Quarkus is the first times for years where I see something with a huge added value, because if you kick in the Graal. This is like this is like you know, eighty percent savings and something like this. But you don't have to. This is the the great news, and you can also you know right. port your regular Whitefly applications to Quarkus if you like. But if you don't, you can stick with Whitefly. And this is why this was interesting that you came from complete different direction over you know the uh, meta space and reflection. And my thinking was you someone came up with the idea with Quarkus because they noticed the deployment, the, the dynamic deployment of wars at startup of the application server doesn't make any sense. Right, exactly. It's, it's the container immutable, you know, immutable container and then dynamic deployment of, of war is like, okay, yeah. that, that's, no, you know, it doesn't fit. Yeah, no, no more necessary for one-to-one relation. In shared deployment, of course, because, you know, you ship the container once, uh, the server once, and you deploy multiple uh, wars, which technically cannot happen anymore mm-hmm. because everything is packaged in a, in a, in a Docker container. Right. Yeah. And, and but by the way, what's your what's your so you know you know Spring Boot is popular, mm-hmm. of course, uh, and that's the that's the opt-in model, right? Where you build from your main application, the you know whatever you want. So so for you, it still doesn't make sense, even though it's popular. 
Uh, yeah, so. I have to. to uh, so it doesn't make sense. It makes sense because it's popular, but I don't get it. Also, I have to say, fed yeah, jars and Uber jar, I, 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 I have no idea why it's useful because it doesn't make any sense. If you push, for instance, fed jar to the cloud, usually only a few kilobytes of your business logic change. And you have to rebuild the, the whole thing because for me, it doesn't make yeah. sense at all. So that's why we have the leap, by the way. So that that, that innovation comes at least from Thorntail, but probably was invented elsewhere. I don't know. But the, Holojar. Yes. Holojar. Yeah, maybe. This I, is I the Thorntail way. The Thorntail way, you know, to separate the Thorntail from the war. So there was like the split, the Thorntail okay. from the deployment. Yeah. Yeah. And the key is the. It's coming from how Docker layers things, yeah. right? It, so, so you could define a layer that is not changing, which is your Thorntail yeah. layer or the Quarkus layer. And this is and this then, is how I use change the business. Logic. And this is how I use Java e for years, cloud native, because we pushed right. you know Whitefly yeah, once uh, to the private Docker registry, whatever cloud, and we just pushed a thin wars all the time. And Quarkus mm-hmm. is the first framework I know which is absolutely compatible with my idea. So, and this is why, uh, why it's true cloud native, because, you know, you separate the lip layer and uh, an, an optimization would be if you just deliver one jar in the lip and not know all the distinct modules, just have, you know, one lip would be even better. You know what I mean? Because in the Quarkus lip, you have all the yeah. uh, Whitefly uh, libraries, prepared Whitefly libraries. It'd be nicer if you had just had one library, uh, but uh, this is just a small, small thing. And um, yeah, and and um, yeah, as I have to say, you know, it is a genius project, and uh, I'm really optimistic with it. And uh, the feedback from community is also great. So uh, yesterday I was Java user group uh, Nuremberg, so um, I'm back to them mm-hmm. uh, night or morning. And um, the one guy from Reddit did Quarkus, and afterwards I did Java e micro profile and a little bit Quarkus, and the crowd, the audience. They, they were they really like Quarkus, so they they they, they were well prepared, asked good questions. Everyone was positive, so I have to say a really great work. And what I really like at Quarkus, I also asked the um, I had a chat with John Klingen about that. It mm-hmm. looks like for me, you know, a very usable product. So, for instance, list extensions, you get all the extensions you can use. Then you can uh, so it's my you know very well documented, but this is. Um, the documentation is lean and you can immediately use it. So this is like, reminds me a little bit, you know, the Rails mindset 10 years ago. So it's like, you know, batteries included, everything is inside, very easy to use. You can use Visual Studio Code, fire it up and, and just go for it. Yeah. So our inspiration is, uh, well, one of the strong inspiration is Play, Play One. Okay. Which got it from Rails, right? Which got it from whatever, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but the Play Play One has lots of, had lots of good ideas. Um it was yeah very centered around the global experience. Um, they had uh, you know what it, what becomes Pana- uh, Hibernate with Panache is uh, got a lot of ideas from from Play. Uh, they had this notion of uh, Dev mode where you could change stuff and it would be redeployed. So we we made it happen too. Um, so yeah, that was a good good um, strong inspiration from Play and therefore Ruby on Rails. Yeah, mm-hmm. cool. So uh, Emmanuel. So- do you have any questions? Yeah. Do I have any questions? Yeah, I do. Um, so you seem to. So it's funny because to me, I we have to show Quarkus like oh you know awesome memory use oh no two two things oh no yeah no if it's question then then just one thing so uh, you know we we have to come at it from like less memory it's great and so on and so on but to me the real 
strong immediate value for a developer is the, the live reload mode, the development mode, where you develop and you go back to your IDE, you refresh and it's, you know, you don't have to repackage, redeploy your app. It's just, just right there. So I haven't seen you mention that. So I wonder, it's just, uh, you are not that interested into it or what's the, what's your feedback on yeah, that? The Quarkus.dev uh, is, uh, really useful and I use it, but, uh, I'm, I'm, at the beginning, I'm not interested in any magic, you know. I don't like to be dependent on something too much. So uh, I was really okay. curious how it works behind the scenes. So I think at the beginning, you should show, you know, Maven Clean install that the uh, Quarkus runner is created and then Quarkus dev mm -hmm. mode. So then everything is clear that it's just optional. The Quarkus dev is not like, you know, mandatory thing. And, uh, okay. and yeah. Uh, yeah. the problem with me is I, I use Whitefly in application service for a long time. So I have scripts, for instance. I'm able to install Whitefly with a script. So which downloads Whitefly, uh, deletes the old one, uh, unzips the new one. Then uh, I have so a small tool called Watt, Watt SH. What it does, it's very similar to Quarkus. It was created actually before Quarkus. It watches my Java files, and on every change, it uh, deploys this to any server I like. So a similar experience, so it's fast enough. Oh, I see. But, yeah, yeah. but uh, we, I prefer Quarkus for prototyping because even faster. And the problem with my stuff is... I use Maven archetypes, and Maven archetypes work great if the if the internet connection is good. So sometimes this is uh, flaky, and if it's slow connection, it takes forever until my archetype checks whether there's new version in the internet, even in off the offline mode. <laughs> in your Quarkus, mm -hmm. a plugin is not an archetype, so it was also genius. So I will steal the idea probably because you just say you no know, Quarkus dot colon create and it happens immediately. And then yeah. I don't, I can skip, you know, the reinstallation of the application server. So it's even faster for prototyping for me. What I don't like okay. a lot because uh, I know my project is not, you know, it's not like one project goes to production with CDI, just CDI or just JaxOS. I know for sure I will use almost everything. So I created a Quarky, mm -hmm. my own archetype. We just adds all extensions from, from, from the beginning. So I use Quarky, which uh, is on GitHub. And they are all all uh, Hibernate ORM and validator. All the micro profile is inside. So for me, is now Quarkus very much like a Java experience, right? Because everything is out of the box. I don't have to add an extension afterwards. Okay, interesting. Well, as long as you don't have millions of those, so those extensions. Yeah, that sounds. In my opinion, is it is it is better at the beginning to include everything, you know, and then then you can just you are in the flow and can hack like crazy, and then uh, remove things afterwards. Then you know, adding and adding and extensions. So this is what I don't like. It's different mindset. So I, I, I this is why yeah. I like Java. You know, I, I just pick everything. Yeah. And if it's fast enough, I stick with it. So this is different. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm somewhat with you, um, except you know, we look at the popularity of things like Spring Boot, and we've got to adapt to what the market perceives is good because that's you, you know, you you need a here we we are at a uh, like a perfect storm where there is there is good technology i think uh there is uh market conditions that are changing because of the containers yeah. and and there is uh, java accepting that and and the right technologies you know grand vm and and whatnot coming and saying here is how we could pivot right and you you mentioned we mentioned annotation quite a you know in the 
in the podcast a bit before, that's the same thing where annotation really created a new energy in Java by having frameworks adapting, frame, frameworks dying, new framework coming up, uh, but it was really a bit of a revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have that many revolutions in Java, but I think that that's one of them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Real time yeah. effort. This is the perfect storm. And the l- Whether it's Quarkus or not, right? It's just, uh, I'm talking generally. Here. Yeah, but uh, what I have to say, a strong selling point for me for Quarkus was exactly the same what I did with Glassfish, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago, because you could buy commercial support for Glassfish, and I assume in one day there will be commercial support from for Quarkus from, from Red Hat. And uh, this is uh, some serious projects. My clients, you know, require me to uh, ship, you know, JBoss with a support model. And I say, okay, uh, you can buy, you know, this is Red Hat. So if you like, you probably can buy support. And this is a completely different story, you know. So yeah. the optional commercial yeah, support, is a, a support was for me always a huge selling point right yeah cool yeah uh this one is, last question uh yeah this was I the longest so. longest episode uh but you know the, oh, yeah? the road to quarkus Sorry. is uh is a long one i guess i'm old that's why you know <laughs> i'm older than the the average that you interview maybe yeah <laughs> i interviewed james gosling he's older but uh we, we oh, will okay. have to split yes. it because uh we we were now i think in 1980 or something or no beginning of java where we stopped <laughs> Okay. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. See the the older the person, the, yeah. the longer and your the episode. Long, uh, the last long story because you asked me about Spring Boot and so forth. I I, I can tell mm-hmm. you, uh, not many developers are that happy with Spring Boot. So it is uh, larger than or or slower than actually perceived. So this is one observation. As not just observation is what what developers are doing. And uh, I was at the JCon conference uh, at the keynote and. And um, and yeah, I had to deliver a keynote, and you know me as a keynote. I have not no idea what to take. Yeah, I just coded, yeah, and um, and I did. Uh, I just picked, I think, Whitefly back then, and just did whatever microservices communicated. And someone asked me what about clouds, and what I knew is that I had uh, Minishift running because of my clients. So I said, mm-hmm. okay, I probably can show it, and I just pushed the you know, Whitefly to to Minishift and just did scale up and down and so how it, how it worked and this was I think S2I uh, from from OpenShift. Yeah. And then um after the conference there were like you no know, five young developers with uh paper and pencil and asked what was it? I would say I mean Java where I can find Java. I said, okay if you if you would like to have it it's what's oh. called Whitefly. It's like this is great. I never saw something fast like this. What you did? What framework are you using? I think and nothing you saw is just Java API and this was the server. You know how hard is it to install, and um, and uh, I say okay, you have just to unzip it. And one student had said I only had Scala experience, and he coded with me the whole, and he was completely sold. It's like this, the, it, this is amazing what you saw there. And for me, it's like the new wave of developers that uh, they don't know the old stuff, and uh, they are really, you know, they are really happy with Java E. This is. Some people ask me, you know, why are you doing Java E? I mean, I, I, I do because there are a lot of requests here. And with Quarkus, even better. Mm-hmm. And now we know we can start with Whitefly and move to Quarkus. Yeah. So do you think Jakarta E might be the way to sort of reset that so that people come yeah. with less preconceptions? Yeah, I think so. It's just, you know, it's just marketing the perception. Jakarta E, Quarkus, and MicroProfile. Hmm. Perfect. Where people can cool. find you? Do you have any references? Um I'm on the, yeah, so emmanuelbernard.com is my website. Then you got all the information. Uh, but generally, just on Twitter, uh, Emmanuel Bernard. I'm everywhere, Emmanuel Bernard. I figured out it's long enough and 
but at least uh, consistent enough. So GitHub and you know Twitter, mm -hmm. all of that is is here. And I'm I've been touring like crazy uh, to speak about Quarkus. Uh, it's slowing it down a bit, but I'll I'll keep doing it uh, quite a bit over September, October, okay. and so on. So, I, I also will speak a little bit uh, about Quarkus at uh, J4K Java for Kubernetes conference next week in Orlando. Cool, nice. Cool. Are you there? Uh, no, I'm not. Um, what am I doing next week? Well, vacations. I think I'm on vacation. Yeah, <laughs> it's like next week is the first. Uh, no, next week is no in two weeks. But anyway, it's like a quieter time for me. Well, at least non-travel. Perfect. <laughs> so thank you a lot. All right. Yeah, thank you. I really enjoyed the the time. So it was cool.